Again, grab your copy of God's Word, Ephesians 4. Uh, just uh, This is an awesome passage. I, I love this passage. So hopefully you're going to get a lot of uh, practical stuff from this tonight. Uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, even on a platform like Facebook Live, uh, to study your Word. And so I pray, dear God, that you would uh, open our hearts and open our minds Give us understanding through your Holy Spirit. Would you make your word alive to us? Uh, Lord, just uh, anything that may be preventing us from um, just uh, connecting to your word, we pray those distractions would be removed uh, so that we might spend this time dedicated uh, and focused on your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that everything we do bring you glory and honor. So give us understanding. Lord, for those who have... uh, We've lost in our community over this past week. We pray for those families uh, that you would just uh, comfort the hearts and minds of their loved ones. And uh, and Lord, we we're thankful uh, that uh, this this world is not our home, uh, but that when we leave this world, we're in your presence. And so, Lord, we have that to comfort us. So though we mourn, we do not mourn without hope. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to be in Ephesians four. I'm just going to walk through starting in verse 17 through verse 32 and just going to kind of unpack uh, each verse as we go through it. Um, Again, you kind of see this. uh, I don't know if if it qualifies as a subordinating conjunction here. The the therefore at the beginning of verse 17, if you remember at the very beginning of this chapter in chapter four, Paul starts it the same way. Therefore. And what it does is it connects what what has just been mentioned, what's been said, to what's about to be said. And so what we talked about last week, uh, just real quick, we need to look at that because Paul's saying, therefore, since what we talked about last week in the beginning of chapter 4, and that is, listen, um, if we have been called, uh, then we need to walk worthy of the calling to be a Christian. So if you belong to Christ, if you are a Christian, then Paul admonishes us to walk in a way that's worthy of that calling that we've been uh, given in Christ Jesus. He tells us that we ought to walk in that calling, be worthy of that calling by being humble and gentle, um, demonstrating patience, bearing with one another. Why? Because we're all part of one body and one spirit and one hope. We have one calling, one Lord, one God. Um, And so since all those things, since we are one body, Um, since we have this high calling in Christ, Paul says, therefore, and so now everything we're about to look at in this passage reflects, because we're part of one body, one spirit, one hope, one baptism, one faith, one Lord, one Savior, uh, because of all those things, Paul then leads into this section of us living in this new life that we have. I, I share with you the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are pretty doctrinally driven. Um, and the last three, four, five, and six, are very practical. And, and so in, in this particular passage, is, you, you just see how practical what Paul is saying really is. And he lays out for us a, a manner in which we're to walk as Christians. And so verse 17, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. And so what Paul's saying in verse 17 is this, um, that those who are still walking according to the, the old man or according to the things of this world, so that there, there were the Jews and the Gentiles, they've been now made one body. Therefore, those Gentiles who have been grafted in, those Gentiles, those Ephesians who have been 
called to, to Christ um, should no longer live the way they used to live. Now, this is important, right? One of the main, I guess, criticisms that we get in the Christian church from non-believers or non-church or unchurched folks uh, is that uh, there's too many Christians who uh, talk a lot, but then they don't live out their faith. This isn't something new. Uh, in fact, that's exactly what Paul is addressing to the Ephesians right here, uh, where he says, listen, I, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. Now, in verse 18, he goes a little bit deeper in describing the futility of their thoughts. He says that their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. And so they absolutely have um, no desire to follow the will, the, the, to follow the word or to follow the way of God. And so uh, Paul's saying, this is what you were like before, before you came to the knowledge of Christ, before you came to the knowledge of uh, being saved by faith, right, by the grace of God in Jesus Christ, then you walked a certain way. You walked according to the pattern of this world. And now that you're a believer, now that you're professing and confessing Christian, now that you're a part of the body of Christ, you can no longer walk that way. Now, this is somewhat of a, a reiteration of what Paul says at the beginning of chapter 4, where he says, walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. Here he, sa he says it a little bit differently, and, and he says, listen, you can no longer walk the way Gentiles walked when their, their thoughts were darkened, when they walked in ignorance to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that you know about Christ, now that you know the truth, you can't walk the way you used to walk. And so there's a decision that needs to be made. And that is, if, if Christ has called us out of the darkness, if Christ has called us into the truth and, and called us into his body, right? This one body, one faith, one hope, one Christ. If he's called us into that, then we can't walk the way we used to walk. Now, absolutely, I want you to hear this. Paul is not teaching perfection. Paul's not saying you can't sin anymore. I think it's obvious to all of us who have walked a day in, in, in our own shoes to know that, that being a Christian doesn't mean you're perfect. In fact, it's, it's the opposite of that, right? Being a Christian means that you confess you are not perfect. And, and so Paul's not saying now that you're a Christian, live a perfect life. What Paul is saying, though, is this. Now that you're a Christian, you can't live the same old life you were. You can't live the way you were before you got saved. You can't go back to the things you used to do before you were saved. There has to be this formation, this spiritual formation where I'm growing spiritually, where I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind, by reading the word of God, by spending time with other Christians, by becoming a part of a body of Christ, a local church. Uh, spending time with other Christians, being discipled by those who are more mature in the faith than we are. This is all a part of growing uh, in our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the question we need to ask ourselves, or that's what Paul is really addressing here is this, are you growing in your walk with Christ? 
If not, then you're drifting toward isolation from Christ. You're drifting farther away from him. See, it's not a complacent walk. It's impossible to just stay where I am with Christ. Either I'm growing closer to him and more intimate with him, or I'm drifting further away from him. And so Paul warns the church at Ephesus and these Gentile believers, and he says, listen, don't turn back to the way you lived before. Walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling as a Christian. Do not turn back to those dark thoughts that you used to have. Don't turn back to those dark ways of living. Rather now, live in a way that's worthy of your calling as a Christian. Okay, You can't live anymore like those who their understanding has been darkened and they're walking in ignorance. Now that you've been exposed to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, now you're responsible for the way you live. And so we have to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Again, not perfection. Right, humbly every single day, bearing with one another. These are all things Paul said that we should live in one, live with one another as one body, patiently, humbly, bearing with one another. Right, putting up with each other because we aren't perfect, because we do make mistakes, but that we're striving daily to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling we have in Christ Jesus. I don't know of anything that that ought to be. Um, or come to our minds in the morning when we wake up, then, Lord, thank you for another day. Now, Lord, help me to walk this way, uh, a way that brings glory and honor to your name, that represents the calling that you've placed in my life in a manner that's worthy. All right, that's not, that, I'm not asking to be perfect. I'm striving to walk like Jesus, humbly, uh, and praying, Lord, that, uh, that other people have patience with me as I try to have patience with them, and the, the way we do that is we're part of the same body, part of the same faith. And so we're not who we used to be. That's, that's the, the, the main thing here is this. Uh, I'm not who I need to be yet. God's still working on me, but I'm not who I used to be either. And so that's what Paul's saying. I can't go back to what I used to be. I can't go back to that when I was walking in ignorance and this hardness in my heart. Verse 19 talks a little bit about the conscious. Uh, the consciousness of, of those who are, or consciences uh, of those who are still living in the dark. In verse 19, he says, they, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. So, so this is literally what Paul's saying. They are so depraved. They, they have gotten so far away. These aren't Christians. These are unbelievers. These are those who are ignorant, who have this darkness of thought. These are, these are people who are far from God. Um, they have not humbled themselves. They, they haven't repented. And they're walking in this callousness. Like their hearts become so calloused. In, in other words, their conscience is dead. Like there is nothing they do that even sparks a re, you know, any conscience within them. And our conscience is evidence that... Um, of the law of God. It's like we're, we're aware that we're doing something wrong. That's what our consciences do. And so our conscience is. It, it makes. It brings an awareness. Of where we fall short. And how we should be walking. And, and what Paul is saying is. The old person that I used to be. Uh, those who are walking in ignorance. And, and hardness of heart. Those who have become so calloused. That they no longer even have a desire. To do what's right. I mean, they, they've committed sins for so long that their conscience is no longer filled. Uh, things that might used to have shocked them doesn't shock them anymore. 
And if we're not careful, it's just but by the grace of God, right? Um, I have people in my family, I have friends, I have acquaintances who are, who are living so far from God. And my concern is that the longer you live far from God, and if you're, if you're a Christian, a believer, the longer you live outside the will of God, the more calloused your conscience becomes. And the Apostle Paul is saying, do not turn back to the way you used to be. Don't go back to living how you used to live. And, and so... Uh, Jesus is the truth, right? In John 14, 6, he talks about being, being the truth. And so Paul is saying here in, um, in verse 20, let's just get that. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Right? Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be removed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. And so this is where the book of Ephesians gets so practical. Like I said, the first three chapters, pretty heavy on doctrine. Chapter 4, 5, and 6 is very practical. It's like uh, now that we understand the doctrine, this is how we live it out. Paul gives us a very simple principle here. That when we got saved, when we came to the knowledge of the truth that's in Jesus Christ, that we became a new creature. We became a new person. I've heard people sometimes say, well, well, what if you grew up in church and, and you, you knew how to act and you, 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 did, you were a good person? The, the, the promise or the problem with that premise is none of us were good people apart from Christ. We're not good. Right, apart that doesn't mean we're incapable of doing good things. It just means that none of us are righteous. We need a savior, in other words. And when we come to the truth and the knowledge that Jesus Christ is the Savior, I can't go back to living how I used to live. Right? Once He's changed my life, once the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me as a believer, now I've got to put on this new self. I've got to walk in this new way of life. I can't go back to, to who I used to be. I've got to, to walk in this new image, this, this new life, this new man, this new creature created in the image of Christ's righteousness. Again, we have to be careful because Paul's not preaching like a gospel of perfection or a gospel of works. And I definitely don't want you to misinterpret what I'm saying uh, that Paul is teaching something like that. Paul's not talking about perfection what Paul's talking about is, where are you at in your walk with Christ? Practically speaking, when you examine your life each day, when you look at how you spend your time, when you look at how you spend your money, when you look at the people that you're hanging around, then can you say that, that you're making good decisions, that you're trying to walk in this new life you've been given in Christ Jesus? Now that you know the truth, then what are you doing with the truth? That, that's the question. And so I can't turn back. I can't live the way I used to live. I can't do the things I used to do. I did those things in ignorance. But now I know the truth. And once I know the truth, I can't go back to living in ignorance as if though I did not know the truth. And so since Christ has been revealed to me, since I have been called, then I need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that I've been given. 
And what does that mean to walk in a manner worthy? It is to put on the new man. It is to, to live the new life in Christ Jesus. And so how do I do this? I have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Listen, I am incapable in my own strength, incapable in my own power, incapable in my own knowledge to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. It's why we've been sealed and given an inheritance of the Holy Spirit of God that is a guarantee of a future inheritance to come. And so the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has been given to the, the believer so that we might walk in newness of life. And so the questions I have to ask myself daily is what am I doing in my life to grow closer in my walk with God? And, and some, sometimes I think we just, we, we get in such a routine of the way we live life and we go about business of living here in this world and the physical that we, we somehow put aside the spiritual things. We put aside how we're walking and growing and maturing in Christ because we just have these things we have to do each and every day. We've got responsibilities. And what Paul is saying is that you can't just push your Christian life aside and live as though you, know, you did before you knew Christ. But rather, now that I, I know the truth, I have to walk in this truth and this newness of life that's been revealed to me uh, by Christ. How do I live it in the power of the Holy Spirit? And so now that the Holy Spirit of God has dwelt the believer, the believer now is empowered to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. Again, not perfect. You're not perfect. You won't be perfect on this side of eternity. But, but you have the very spirit of a perfect God living inside of you to equip you to walk in righteousness. And also the spirit of God to convict you when you get outside the bounds of God's will and God's way for your life. And, and so Ephesians 4 is really just telling us live in the new life. Live out the new life. Live out that which has been given inwardly so now the holy spirit has been given inwardly now that needs to be lived outwardly it needs to be flowing out of my life in the way i treat people in the way i talk to people right in, in the in the way i approach people in the way i live my life in the way i treat my wife in the way i raise my kids every single thing i do i need to be doing in newness of life as a new man in christ i'm not perfect but I'm not who I used to be either. And that's kind of what Paul's saying is you, you can't be who you used to be once the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ has been revealed to you. And so that's the question you ask, right? That, that's really where I need to begin looking is this. Am I the same person that I used to be? Am I walking the same way now that I used to walk? Or is there evidence in my life that I'm growing in maturity? I'm growing in my walk with Christ. So that I look back and I say, man, the person I was 10 years ago, I'm so thankful I'm not that person anymore. And yet we're living in such a manner that 10 years from now, we will look back and the person we are today, 10 years from now, will be blown away at how much we have progressed in our walk with Christ. That's what Paul's saying the Christian walk is like. It's this new life we've been given. And if we're not careful, we become calloused. Right. And, and when we are when we're not growing closer to God, but drifting away from God, when we're not growing in intimacy, but but drifting toward isolation from God, from Christ, uh, through the Holy Spirit of God, then if we're not careful, we become calloused even as believers. And we can we can find ourselves so far from God 
Um, and and uh, at times we all kind of drift, right? At times we have very uh, productive seasons in our life where we're really growing and we're really in God's word and prayer seems to just flow naturally. Uh, walking for God, uh, sharing the gospel of Christ with others seems to just be a natural um, overflowing of what's going on inwardly. And then there's these seasons in our life where it's difficult. Like you wake up and you know that you ought to be reading God's word, but you just don't feel like it, right? You, you know that you need to be spending time in prayer, but it just seems difficult to do that. I, I mean, just being transparent, honest, what Paul's saying is that in all these seasons, we can't go back to who we used to be. We've got to plow through. We've got to do what we need to do to grow in our walk with Christ. There's times where everything's great in our life. There's times where we're going through struggles in our life. And both in the struggle and in the mountaintop, we ought to be growing closer to Christ. So where are you in your walk with Christ? Or have you progressed? Can you see this progression in your life? Or when you look at your life, do you still look like the person you were 10 years ago? And if you are, then, then here's the fix. It's the Holy Spirit of God. We have to rely and depend, but we have to give everything over to God. We have to allow God access of everything in our life. When he's called us to the truth, right now, we have no longer have any ownership of our life. When we're followers of Christ, Christ has all of us, or he should have all of who we are, right? Christ has my family. He has my career. He has my job. He has... He has my, uh, my leisure time. Christ has everything. He ha Christ has uh, all of my finances. And, and so it, there's, there's none of this, I'll give Christ some and I'm going to be, no, Christ, everything belongs to him. This is the new life where I'm no longer walking in ignorance, but I'm walking in the truth of who Christ is and what Christ is like. And so there should be evidence in my life that I'm not the man I, I used to be. Not the man I need to be, not the man I will be, but I'm not the man I used to be either. I can see this progression because I'm not walking in the way I used to. Repentance, right? It's this beautiful picture of turning the opposite direction from something. And so when we repent, it's like uh, this is the way we've been walking. This is the lifestyle we've been living. And then uh, repentance means that we turn away from that. We turn away from those things and we turn toward God and we begin to walk toward God in Christ Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah, I hope that uh, I hope that's at least made that somewhat clear. Uh, this is supposed to be practical. It, what Paul's writing here is just simple, practical. This is the way we live it out as Christians. And I don't know that, that it can be said any simpler than what, what Paul says. Now that we're in Christ, we can no longer live the way we did before Christ. So let's walk in the likeness of God and the righteousness and the purity of the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. Verse 25 says this, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Uh, I would simply say this. Now that we're, we're no longer walking in darkness. Remember that, that Satan is the father of lies. Now that we're walking in the truth. Now that we're walking in the light. We're not to, we're not to, um, to lie to one another. But we're part of one body. And so we're to speak the truth in love to one another. And so we can't be in a community. Unless we honestly address 
and admit our own faults and failures and weaknesses. In, in fact, Scripture admonishes, encourages us to confess our sins one to another. I, I don't know if you have an accountability partner. I don't know if you have someone in your life uh, that you can walk through Scripture with, that you, you walk through the difficult times in your life with, that you can confess the struggles that you're having, your weaknesses. But this is a very biblical thing, and we each need somebody that we're meeting with regularly that, that will hold us accountable. We don't need somebody that, that, that'll just kind of say, oh, you gave it you know, a good college try. You'll get them next time. We need somebody that'll speak truth into our life. If you really want to grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, you need someone who will speak truth to you that will hold you accountable to what it means to walk in God's will. And it needs to be done regularly. You may not be able to meet every week, but you need to regularly meet with this accountability person in your life. Somebody you can confess your sins to and know that they won't, they won't take it any further, that it'll be between you and them. Somebody that you can share your weaknesses with so that they can help you with your weaknesses. Someone who knows your strengths so they can point them out to you and how you might better serve God. Somebody who will hold you to your feet to the fire and ask you this week, how was your walk? And you have to confess those things to them. Listen, Paul, Paul tells us we need to be able to speak truth to one another. Yeah, to our neighbors, to those who are part of this body that we're in, the body of Christ. And so, but, but we also have to do it in love. Uh, we have to be careful that when we're, uh, we have to have a relationship with people before we can just uh, speak truthfully into their life about their weaknesses, uh, right? The same way we want someone to really know who we are if they're going to speak truth into our life if they're going to uh, hold us accountable and hold our feet to the fire. And I just encourage you, whoever it is, you need to have somebody that you can be honest with and somebody that will be honest with you. So, you, so yeah, if you don't have that, I just encourage you, even tonight, begin praying that God would send you that person, send someone into your life that will walk through this life with you, that will hold you accountable, that will speak truth to you in love. Um, we all have uh, yes men in our corners, those who will pat us on the back. And we do the same thing. We, we pat each other on the back. But we also have to have someone uh, and maybe even a group of, of uh, fellow believers I believe if you're a man, you ought to have a, another man as an accountability partner. If you're a woman, you ought to have another woman that you can confide in and you can talk to. But someone who will speak truthfully into our life. And when, we, when we're out of line, they'll call us out on it and say, listen, you're out of line here. Uh, we need that desperately as God's people. If we're going to grow in our walk with, with God, we need someone who will speak truth to us. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, let's do 27 in with that. Uh, and don't give the devil an opportunity. So I think 26, 27 must be read in, together. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. Uh, listen, here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying that you must control your anger, you have to deal with it daily. You have to deal with it immediately and not even give Satan an opportunity to incite or inflame flame your anger into something that's bigger. 
We can't even give them an opportunity. Anger is sinful. Listen, this be angry, do not sin. So when is anger? When does anger become sinful? I think this is a practical question that we need to ask biblically. And and I would say that anger is sinful when it attacks others and seeks revenge on others rather than addressing the root of the problem, rather than seeking repentance and uh, really reconciliation. So be be angry and do not sin is this call that as brothers in Christ, as sisters in Christ, um, that we call out the problem and that we deal with the problem so that we can have reconciliation, not revenge. And if we're not careful, if we don't deal with the anger immediately, if we give Satan an opportunity to incite that, to incite that anger that we feel, to incite it in others, whatever the problem may be, he, he will make a uh, really a mountain out of a molehill if he can. We can't give him an opportunity to do that. And so what we have to seek to do in our daily walk and what Paul's saying here is be angry and do not sin. So, so are there things in this life that, that cause me to be angry? Yes. But if we handle those situations biblically in a Christian manner, we can be angry and not sin. Uh, so how do we do this? Anger should, should incite within us the desire to point out the problem so reconciliation can take place. And if this is, is not the way we use anger, if we're using anger to get revenge or to cause someone else harm, whether it be with the words we use, um, whatever the situation, anger becomes sinful when we're not using it to address the problem so that reconciliation can take place. This is biblical anger the way it should work is there's something that happens. I become angry about that. Uh, I address the problem in hopes of reconciliation, right? Th- this is, goes back to, to chapter 4, the beginning of this chapter, where Paul says, live with one another in humility and with patience, bearing with one another, right? How do we do that practically when things arise, when, when complications, when problems come up and, and we become angry? How do we deal with that in a Christian manner? Well, we first, our desire must be reconciliation to address the problem in hopes that we can reconcile this problem, in hopes that we can uh, become closer to one another even through this conflict that we're dealing with. I just believe today, not only in the church, but in general in the culture that we live in, that we don't want to confront issues and problems. I know I don't. I don't wake up desiring to to meet conflicts head on and to address problems. I think we all have a ways to go in our walk with Christ and in how we address conflict. But but one of the, I tell you how you can't cannot address conflict. You can't avoid it. And so if we have anger, if there's anger that takes place, we need to deal with it immediately. Not give Satan an opportunity. Not give him even an opportunity to get a foothold on us. So we don't want to give Satan the opportunity to address anger immediately. And what the goal of anger must be, what it has to become in the life of the Christian is to address the problem so that reconciliation can take place, so that the, the matter can be resolved, so that the, the issue, that's the, the conflict or, or the circumstance that's bringing me anger can be resolved. 
This is what Paul says. In verse 28, he says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Now, here's what Paul's doing. If we go back to verse 17 where he says, uh, listen, no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. Don't go back to the old way of living. Live in a way that's worthy of the calling you've been called to. What's that look like? Well, if you were a thief, you, you stop stealing. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, do an honest day's work. Work for a living by the, by the sweat of your brow. He goes on, what else, right? Uh, share with anyone in need. And so, so the person who used to be a thief who would take from others for his own selfish gain, now the thief who has seen the truth of Jesus Christ, been changed, given the Holy Spirit of God, now the person who used to take from others now begins to want to give to others. This is what Paul's saying. This is, Paul's giving us examples of what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the call we have in Christ Jesus or to live in the new way, live the new life. So, so let's, what he continues, not only should we share with others, but in verse 29, no foul language should come out of your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. This is maybe one of the best verses. Here, no foul language should come from your mouth. This is what should, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. But our tongues can be daggers sometimes. I have to be so careful uh, the way that I, the tone I have when I speak to someone, when I speak to my children, right, that they can tell by the tone of my voice I have to be careful because some, uh, a couple of my kids are so tenderhearted that if I'm not careful, I can really go too far and discourage my, my kids and uh, not meaning to, just meaning to correct them. But if I'm not careful, just my tone and my inflection can be too much. And what, what, what Paul says is this, now that you live the new life in Christ, you used to speak foul language. What, what used to come out of your mouth Man, it was garbage. But now that you live in Christ, let the words that come out of your mouth encourage and build others up so that it gives hope to those who are hearing it. Boy, idle talk. Right, talk that has... Um, uh, one, of my, uh, you know, one of my pet peeves is, you know, you're sitting in Sunday school class. We've all done this, right? But, or we've all experienced this at least. And, and someone begins to ask prayer for a family, and they begin to lay out every single detail, every, um, just they expose the whole thing to everybody. When they could have just spoken something that would bring hope to those people, something that would build up the people who are hearing it. So we, we have to be careful, even the way we're, we're asking to pray for people, even the way we're sharing with others how they can can help someone in need. We have to be careful because the, whoever we're talking to, our language needs to build up and bring hope when they hear it. Right? You, you ever talk to someone, you, you just spend a little time, and it seems like they have completely drained you of any hope that you had. You're just worn out. And that they did not necessarily say anything 
you know, dirty or what might be what we might consider to be foul. But but everything they said seemed to tear you down, even though they weren't even talking about you. This is what Paul's addressing. He says everything we say should bring hope to those who hear. Make sure you catch this. Make sure you see this. Everything we say, no matter who we're speaking to, it ought to bring hope to the people that are hearing it. I, I used to say, um, of course, if, you, if you're a part of Buffalo Baptist or been at Buffalo at all, um, then you know Mr. Jim Turner who, who passed away. Um, but Jim would say to me sometime on Sunday, he would say, um, let's have breakfast tomorrow. And uh, when Jim asked me to breakfast on Monday, I knew that I had said something or done something um, that I shouldn't have or, or have said it the wrong way. And so, uh, so I would go to eat breakfast with Jim, and Jim would set me down, and Jim would begin to, to, uh, to just talk to me. And, uh, and what Jim would do is basically tell me I had really blown it. But he did it in such a way that I, I, I would find myself wondering, is he complimenting me or is he criticizing me? I couldn't I could tell because the way that he did it, because he did it in love, because he spoke the truth to me in love, because his language and the manner in which he spoke brought hope to me. So even though he was correcting me, even though he was speaking the truth to me in love, even though he was telling me there was something in my life that needed to be addressed, um, it felt like he was complimenting me the whole time. Now, I want to tell you that as Jim got a little um, closer to leaving uh, this earth and going to be with, with, with Jesus, Jim would ask me to, to eat. And um, I, I hope it's because I progressed a little bit and grew a little bit in my faith. And, um, and I could go eat with Jim, and, and Jim would not talk church with me. He would just talk to me about my family and those kind of things. I miss those conversations. But Jim was somebody who would speak truth to me in love. It would build me up and encourage me, even though he was addressing a problem in my life or my speech. I hope you have people like that in your life. But practically speaking, if what you're saying does not bring hope to the person who's hearing it, then you don't need to say it. I don't know how to say that any other way. This is, this is what Paul's saying. Listen, we, we read this, and when Paul says, let no foul language come out of your mouth, remember, that's when you were walking in darkness. But Paul takes it further and says, now that you're in Christ, now that you're living this new life in Christ, then let everything you say bring hope to those who hear it. So now this has to be applied that when I'm speaking to someone, Regardless of the circumstances, let me speak in such a manner that it brings hope to the person who's hearing it. That it, it encourages those who hear it. And so I've heard people sometimes, you know, say, uh, well, it's true. I, I just want to share with you that nowhere in Scripture does it say that you can say something because it's true in a way that hurts somebody. You can't say something that's true in a way that discourages. You can't even say what's true in a way that is neutral. What Scripture says 
is that you have to speak in a way that brings hope to those who hear it. And so practically speaking, as a Christian, I've got to watch the way I speak to people so that even if I'm addressing a sin, uh, addressing a habit, that I have to address it in such a way that people get hope from what's being said, that, that they're encouraged by what's being said, that they understand that, that what I'm saying, I'm saying to them because I love them and because they have hope in Christ Jesus because he's given them a new life and made them a new creature. Not a perfect person. None of us. The, this is why we need accountability. People in our life who will just say to us in love and encourage us, listen, I know that you can do better. That, that's, I'm addressing this because I know that you have a desire to do what's right. I, I'm calling you out on this because you want to walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And when you have those people in your life, they can speak truth into your life in a way that builds you up, encourages you, and brings hope. And what we have to do as believers is we have to be careful the way we speak to others. Even if what we're saying is true, what we're saying has to be said in love and in a way that brings hope to those who hear it. Now, we know that Scripture warns us that the only member of the body that can't be controlled is the tongue. The tongue, it is a hard thing to control. So, I, listen, I haven't mastered the tongue. Anybody who says they have mastered their tongue is deceived themselves. This, this little organ, it, it's, it's a crazy thing. We need the Holy Spirit of God desperately to help us in the way we talk to other people. And I'm not just talking about the, the way we use language. I, I mean the tone in which we speak, the words that we choose, the inflection that we place upon our words. We desperately need the Holy Spirit of God leading our conversations so that when we speak to other people, we're speaking to them in love. That when we speak to someone it brings encouragement to them. Don't you just love when, when you see somebody in the morning, maybe your morning hadn't went so well, and you just ask them the question, hey, how are you doing? And that they're just like, man, I'm doing great, better than I deserve to be doing. It's a great morning. It just encourages you that someone would take that opportunity to just um, lift you up. It lifts your spirits up. That's the way our conversation should be with one another as believers in Christ. I'm not saying that it's easy. In fact, I would submit to you that it's, uh, it's probably almost impossible. In fact, it is impossible with us, but it's not impossible with God. If the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and the Holy Spirit lives within us, he can help us to get control of our tongue. This is a big deal. This is, this is practical living. This is the way we live at peace with, with other brothers and sisters. This is the way we live humbly before others. This is the way we speak truth in love. This is the way we um, demonstrate patience. This is the way we bear with one another in the way we speak to one another. So if, if in my old life, foul language was something I used, now as a new person in Christ, my speech should be full of grace. That's what Paul's saying in verse 29. Verse 30. Um, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit or God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. This is, this is beautiful, right? I've been given the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit has sealed me. I have the mark of King Jesus on my life. I am now sealed until the day of redemption, until the day I see Jesus face to face. So Paul, 
This is Paul giving hope to the person he's speaking to. So Paul's addressing some tough things. Paul's saying, listen, Ephesians, church at Ephesus, you can't live the way you lived before you came to know Christ. But then he says it in such a way that he gives hope. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Remember, you've been given the, the God's Holy Spirit uh, to seal you for the day of redemption. He says this, let all bitterness, anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Go back to, to chapter 4, the first few verses where Paul says, uh, live in a manner that's worthy of the calling that's been placed in your life. Live with one another in humility, in patience, bearing with one another. How do we do that? Well, this Paul's now giving us the practical list of how we live that way with other people, how we live that way with the body of Christ, how we live that way as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. How? We have to put aside bitterness, anger, and wrath. That there's just no place in the church for bitterness, anger, and wrath. Remember, Paul's addressed anger already and said, you, when, you, when you become angry, don't sin. Practically speaking, I take my anger, I use it to address the problem in hopes of reconciliation, in hopes that the relationship can be restored. If I'm looking to use anger to get revenge, to get back at someone or hurt someone, now my anger has become sin. Paul says, don't allow your anger to become bitterness or wrath. Don't give the devil that much of a hold in your life. Remove those things along with malice. Don't shout at one another. Don't slander one another. Don't, don't say things to, to cut somebody else or to cause and inflict pain on someone else. These are all hard things to do. But practically speaking, this is where we live every single day. These are the things we deal with every single day as Christians. Put your bitterness away. Put your anger and your wrath away. Put, stop the shouting. Stop the slander. Let it be removed from you. So, so listen, it's not, how's it removed from me? I have to give it away. I have to give it to God. I have to just give God the, the anger that I have. I have to give God the bitterness that's built up in my life. I have to give God the, 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 the wrath that I'm holding on to. I have to give God the things that are causing me to shout and slander. Too many Christians are walking around with these things burdening them. Just burden down Christians because they're holding on to bitterness and wrath and, and anger. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to live the Christian life, you're going to live this new life in Christ, you're going to live as a new creation those things need to be removed from your life. How are they removed? You give them to God. This is something we, we have to do. This is something we, we have to do as Christians. Listen, a, a Christian doesn't say, I have the right to be angry and I'm going to be angry. The Christian understands if anybody has a right to be bitter and wrathful, it's God toward us. The sinfulness and, and our disobedience toward him, our um, lack of fear for who God is, the life we live before we come to know him, 
If anyone has the right to be angry and bitter and wrathful and shout and slander, it's how God should treat us. But God doesn't treat us that way. Rather, God took all of his anger and bitterness and wrath and he poured it out on his son, Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus bore the wrath that God had toward me. If God would show that much mercy to me and show that much grace toward me because my debt toward God is so much bigger than any man's debt to another man, then if, if I have accepted the forgiveness of God in my life for my actions, then what right do I have to not forgive others the way God has forgiven me in Christ Jesus? How did God do it? It required Christ. How do we do it? In Christ. The, the way that I get rid of the anger, the bitterness, the wrath is I give it to Christ. Does it go away overnight? Sometimes God might just remove something instantly. Sometimes it's a process. You're not perfect, but you're not who you used to be. Are you growing? I hope so. How do I know? Look at this list. See if this list describes you or if this list describes the person you used to be. In verse 32, and be kind and compassionate to one another. Go, go back up a few verses. Let it bring hope to those who hear. This is Paul finishing a statement in hope. In essence, he's calling the church at Ephesus out. He's calling the Gentile believers in the Ephesian church out and saying, stop walking the way you did before Christ. Stop holding on to anger. Stop, stop uh, slandering one another. All right? Stop using foul language with one another. Don't go back to living the way you used to walk. And then he says all these things under the, under the, uh, the theme of restoration and renewal and transformation. Paul's saying all these things not because he's bitter, not because he's angry, but because he loves them and he speaks the truth in love. And he says to us as believers that when we're dealing with other believers to be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. This is where we miss the mark so much. And again, not perfection. None of us do this perfectly. Man, some of us struggle with this. I struggle with it. Forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. That's, that's what I was just saying. Think about that for a second. Think of the person you were. Think of your past. Think of all the debt that you owed God for all the sins you committed in your life, for all the mistakes you had made. And in Christ, God forgave you of all your debt. Do you remember Jesus telling the story? He said there was a, a man who owed the king a large amount of money. The king calls him in to collect the debt. And the man begs the king. He just can't pay. And the king does something. You remember that the king forgives him of all of his debt. The king just says, your debt's forgiven. This huge debt that he owed the king. And remember what 
Jesus says the man did. The man then leaves the king's court. And he goes directly to someone who owes him a small amount. And he demands this man pay the debt he owes him. The small amount that this man owed. And he's, he's ready to take away his property. Take away everything he has. Send him to debtor's prison. For this little amount that this man owed him. And so the king calls him back in. After the king hears. And the king asks the simple question, right? If I would forgive you of such great a debt, why did you not forgive him of such a small debt? And I want to tell you that this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is writing when he says, forgive one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. We can't, we can't stand before the throne of God after God's forgiven us of such a huge debt that we owed, sin debt. If we've been unwilling to forgive others of small debts compared to what we owe God. So Paul says, put away these things. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called with. You are now a child of the king. You're a follower of Christ. You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. If all these things are true, walk in a way that's worthy of that calling. Remember that we've all been called to one body, right? To one spirit and to one faith and to one baptism. We have one Lord and one Father and one spirit. We're all called to the same. I, I, whether, you're, whether you go to our church or the church down the street, doesn't matter. We're all one body. How we treat one another matters. And so before we decide we're going to call in our debts to others, we're going to harbor hatred or bitterness or unforgiveness or anger at others, remember... That we owed God such a large debt. And he forgave it in full. In Jesus Christ. And if he's willing to forgive us of that much. Then certainly we ought to be willing to forgive one another. Of the debts we have. Of the wrongs we've done. We ought to be able to come together. In compassion, in love, in forgiveness, in a spirit of reconciliation. Because when we do that, it brings glory to God. And remember that the primary reason we exist is to glorify God. And when we live with one another the way Paul lays out, that Christians and church members and those of the same body should live, it doesn't bring glory to us. It brings glory to God.